How's it going, New Hope? Thanks so much for joining us for our online gatherings. When <clears throat> our oldest daughter, Eden, who's about to turn 13, when she was when she was a, a, a baby and a toddler, she struggled to get to sleep. We uh, we were uh, first time parents and, and sleep is of a premium, especially for my wife, who was doing most of that type of work. And and we uh, we finally did the the cry it out thing where you kind of put them in the room and a few nights are rough and then they get kind of used to self-soothing and got that done, got got her in a room. But she, she just struggled for for a good year or two. Uh, to fall asleep. And some of it's uh, Eden's wiring. She loves people. She loves to know what's going on. If there's something happening, she loves to be a part of it. She's very curious. She doesn't miss a beat. She catches everything, which are wonderful qualities in her today. Uh, terrible qualities when you're trying to get a, a kid to go to sleep. So we had a whole plan and we read the books, try to figure out how to do this, talk to the doctors. And so we would we would start and kind of lower the lights and change her diaper, get her in the PJs, get a warm bottle of milk, read a book, and then kind of pick her up and rock her and sing to her soothingly. And usually that would do the trick and, and she would fall asleep in our arms. And then we would do the slow creep to the crib and gently lay her down lest we wake her up and then she had a, a crib tent which is like a like a kind of like a cloth little thing to make sure that the kids don't fall out or, or escape and we would you know, slowly quietly zip it up and then we would creep out of the room and she's so perceptive and a, a very light sleeper that that even a creak in the floor would would wake her up so and we memorized the creaks in our floor we lived in an older house so there's you know we're, we're like ninja style out of the room. And if we did hit a creek or there was a noise, she would pop up and be like, da-da. <laughs> it was like a power nap and she's good to go for another three hours, which was not great for our sleep and our evenings. If we did get out of the room and we'll close the door, we'd kind of high five and be really, really excited. So Eden's no different than most babies and infants. And she's no different than me and, and you, most adults. We struggle to get to sleep, a lot of us, we struggle to rest. Everything has to be perfect. We have to have the right sheets and pillows, some of us, and eye coverings, and there can't be noise, and we can't be stressed. As you get older, kind of everything has to be aligned for us uh, to sleep. And if they aren't aligned, we're restless. Today, we're going to talk about hope uh, for the restless. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 23. If you're on our online platform, you can go down to the Bible and just just click on it. We're in the second week of a three-week series called uh, In the Valley, the Hope of Psalm 23. Last week, we just looked at the first line. So if you're joining us, you, you didn't miss a lot, but the first line is kind of the main idea of King David's Psalm. The Lord, Yahweh, is our shepherd. Uh, I lack nothing. This word Yahweh is, is God's personal name, his covenant name. I am God's self-sufficiency. If Yahweh is our shepherd, we lack nothing. doesn't mean that Yahweh meets our every wants, but that Yahweh meets our every needs. And we, our hearts are placed in this, in this place of contentment where they're fully, fully satisfied. We talked about how Jesus identified with being the good shepherd from Psalm 23 in, in John 
chapter 10. You can reference that if you missed the sermon. He clearly steps into that role. So we talked last week about this idea that only Jesus truly satisfies. We look for all kind of things in our restless heart to satisfy us. Nothing will really satisfy us. We leave dissatisfied with each of those encounters, but Jesus truly is our good shepherd and meets our every need. If we look to him and allow him to shepherd our hearts, then we will lack nothing. Doesn't mean that our lives will be easy. Doesn't mean that Jesus solves all of our problems and everything's good. It means it amidst everything in life, the good and the bad, our hearts are satisfied. Our hearts are content. So today we're going to look at verses two through four, and we're going to consider Jesus as the good shepherd. What exactly does the shepherd provide for us, the sheep? So Martin is going to recite Psalm 23 for us. Again, the challenge for you out there to recite it, hide it in your hearts, and uh, go ahead and, and submit that by Tuesday. Go to our events page on our website. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to splice it all together in a cool video. So Martin's going to show us how it's done, and he's going to do it in Spanish. Take it away, Martin. Salmos 23 nos dice, El Señor es mi pastor, y nada me faltará. En lugares de verdes pastos me hace descansar. Junto a aguas de reposo me conduce. Él restaura mi alma. Me guía por senderos de justicia, por amor de su nombre. Aunque pasa por el valle de sombra de muerte, no temeré mal alguno, porque tú estás conmigo. Tu vara y tu callado me infunden aliento. Tú preparas mesa delante de mí en presencia de mis enemigos. Has ungido mi cabeza con aceite. Mi copa está rebosando. Ciertamente, el bien y la misericordia me sigarán todos los días de mi vida. En la casa del Señor moraré por largos días. That was really awesome. I didn't understand a word Martin said, so I'm glad the subtitles were there. My daughters know Spanish, so they, they can translate for me. Thank you, Martin. We're, we're grateful for that. Let's look at verses two through four. Let's kind of hunker down in those. David, as king, as a shepherd boy, he, as shepherd king, is <clears throat> embodying that role as the sheep. If you remember last week, we can't tap into the uh, promises of Psalm 23 unless we embody that role as sheep. Um, sheep are the only ones that need a shepherd. So David's personifying that. He's stepping into the role of the sheep. And so David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So you can teach a dog to lie down, most dogs. You can't teach sheep to lie down. You definitely can't make a sheep lie down. The Hebrew verb in the NIV, makes me lie down, is probably better translated, settles me down, or he enables me to lie down, or he lets me rest, some translations. In Jeremiah 33, 12, that's how it's translated, the resting metaphor. So this idea of only, only a good shepherd can truly cause the sheep uh, to rest. How so? Any shepherd, anyone familiar with sheep, will know that sheep will not lie down and rest until they're not scared, they're not hungry, and they're not thirsty. Uh, just like our daughter Eden sheep need everything allied, just like us, to lie down and rest. Sheep are notoriously skittish 
creatures. It's been said that if a flock of sheep see a jackrabbit come out of the bushes, the entire uh, flock will, will go into a stampede. Uh, they're also super vulnerable to attack. That's why they're so scared and skittish. There's one story I read about two stray dogs killing almost 300 sheep in a night. They have no defense system. They're completely vulnerable creatures. Uh, if sheep are scared enough, they'll give birth prematurely if they're pregnant. One shepherd recounted coming into a field in the morning and finding nine uh, sheep that had given birth prematurely because of a coyote that had been stalking the flock that night. Only the shepherd and the presence and the protective presence of the shepherd can calm the anxiety of a sheep and cause a sheep to lie down. Sheep were also not rest if they're hungry or thirsty. David knew this full well in his experience as a shepherd. The good shepherd makes the sheep lie down in green pastures and leads them beside quiet waters. Uh, David's doing some beautiful things here with his poetry. David shepherded in a very arid region. It's arid today. It's essentially desert. The rainy season begins in November, goes through February, similar to Portland ad. A couple months maybe on either end. That means in, in David's area where he was shepherding, the green pastures only existed for maybe three or four months. So to find good pastures for the sheep, the shepherds had to travel. They were nomadic and they had to take their flocks kind of following the rainy season and go higher and higher and higher. To this day, shepherds will take their sheep up to 8,000 feet in that region to find more temperate zones, to find green pastures for their sheep. Sheep would graze typically in the ancient Near East from 3 a.m. to 10 a.m., so really early morning. So if you're not a morning person, you don't want to become a shepherd. Green pastures weren't enough, though. So the shepherds would lead them to green pastures. They had to take care of that hunger. They also needed water. So typically, they would feed for those hours in the morning, and the shepherd would lead them to water. Again, very arid region. Water's not everywhere. You had to seek it out. So it was a network of cisterns and wells where uh, the shepherds would know where they were. But sometimes they weren't even around, and, and they had to find other water force, uh, sources, uh, springs. Or David uses this image of streams, of the flowing waters, or the quiet waters. And here's what he's doing there. Again, any shepherd knows that a sheep will never approach moving water, even if it's ankle deep. Sheep are just super scared and they're skittish and they're like, oh, it's moving. I can't get close to it. So what shepherds would do is they would create little channels out of the moving stream and create these little pockets of quiet water. So the skittish sheep would slowly approach the quiet water and get hydrated. Notice David said that the shepherd leads them to quiet waters. He doesn't force the quiet waters upon them. Uh, this is very important. Uh, shepherds would be out in front of their sheep, and they're not driving them from behind like cattle, but they're leading them. And to this day, shepherd in that region will lead their sheep with a pipe a tune or flute tune, or more often, a specific song to that shepherd. That shepherd would sing, and the sheep would know the shepherd's voice. There are stories of shepherds with their specific tune approaching multiple flocks of sheep, singing out their tune, and their flock comes out and follows them. Jesus is using this imagery, and again, the passage we read last week in John 10, that the sheep will, will know my, my, my voice. If sheep are scared or hungry or thirsty, they won't rest. Their needs aren't taken care of. They're restless, just like Eden was a baby, just like you and I are. We don't rest until we have those essential needs taken care of. But once those needs are provided for, sheep sleep like a baby. 
and they rest. King David, in another psalm, Psalm 3, says it this way. Lord, Yahweh, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? You can just feel the anxiety in David. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him, but you, Yahweh, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. And then what does David say? I lie down and sleep. Only a good shepherd can provide rest for the sheep. How so? The shepherd provides protection and food and water, but also more. David goes on in verse three, says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. You may be familiar with the old school King James version. He restoreth my soul. Uh, both don't do service to the heart of the Hebrew here, in my opinion. To say that he refreshes or restores doesn't quite capture the depth and the power of this Hebrew word, which essentially means to return. That's what the word means. When, when, we, when we say he refreshes my soul, it's almost like the idea of the, the shepherd taking the sheep to a day spa, <laughs> they're refreshed. And it's way more than that. I think the best translation I've read and the, thing, the, the phrase that best captures the Hebrew here is that he brings me back to life. He brings me back to life. So kind of read back through verse three and instead, instead of refreshes my soul, he brings me back to life. The word soul just means life. Whoa, suddenly it pops. It has, it has new depth and meaning for what the shepherd does for the sheep. It also, that idea connects it vividly to Jesus's words in Luke 15, where Jesus tells the parable. He's explaining the heart of God in Luke 15 and the lost coin and the lost son and the lost sheep, leaving the shepherd who will leave the 99 to go find and rescue and bring back to life the one sheep. Clearly, I think if when Jesus is teaching in Luke 15, in his mind and heart, he's thinking of King David's Psalm 23. So this understanding of the word connects it there. As, as we discussed last week, sheep just naturally wander. The prophet Isaiah says that about us. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to our own way. Sheep just naturally wander. It's just what sheep do. So as a shepherd is leading a huge flock of sheep into the wilderness, there's no pen to keep them in. And as darkness comes down, invariably, undoubtedly, the shepherd is going to lose some sheep because sheep just wander. So the first thing a shepherd in the ancient Near East would do when dawn breaks is get up and count the sheep. Who's wandered? So, you know, one, two, three, all the way up, 97, 98, 90. Oh, no, Harry's gone again. And then, you know, the shepherd goes and looks for the sheep. So when a sheep wanders away and a sheep gets lost, they don't even realize they're lost for a while. They're not the smartest creatures. When they do realize they're lost, their behavior causes them to go hide under a bush or a rock and kind of be like, where is everybody? They're scared. And they start to shake physically. And then they start to bleat really loudly, which can be good if you're trying to find them for the shepherd, but it also attracts predators. It's basically like, hey, here I am over here. Come eat me kind of deal. So it becomes a race when a sheep's lost between the shepherd and the predator who gets there first. So as soon as the shepherd's counting and he knows Harry's gone or whatever sheep's gone, off the shepherd goes. 
searching to restore and bring back to life this, this sheep that has wandered away. It's this vivid imagery that so drove the early Christians, as we talked about last week, to draw these pictures in the catacombs, to draw them on the chalices that they would take the Lord's Supper with of the, the shepherd holding the sheep. And that's what would happen if the shepherd found the sheep under a bush, under a rock, beat the predator, this sheep would be so distraught and so emotionally in upheaval that they couldn't walk. And so the shepherd would pick up the sheep and put the sheep over their shoulders and carry it back home. What a beautiful gospel image of the good shepherd picking up the shaking, shivering sheep, which by the way is me and by the way is you, and carrying us back to the safety of the flock. That's what so compelled the early Christians to use this imagery to capture, capture Jesus and capture the gospel. So that's one way sheep got in deep trouble. The other way that, that the shepherd brings sheep back to life is what's called being cast down. And being cast down happens when a sheep gets fat or gets really woolly or maybe gets into an area of the pasture where there's just really fluffy grass. And the sheep literally, this is a common thing with sheep, will just fall over. And so he just follows it. Once a sheep falls down, it can't get back up. It can't. It's called being cast down. And sheep are vulnerable standing. A sheep that's cast down is like fast food for predators. So that's another thing a shepherd would do every morning. He would get up and count the sheep. And if none wandered away and they're all there, then the shepherd would look which ones are cast down. And they would know that by, they would look up in the sky and see birds of prey or buzzards actually around or over a cast down sheep coming in for the kill. And then the shepherd would run to that sheep and pick it up and a lot of times have to rub its legs to get the circulation going back up so they could stand it back up. It's a beautiful image of being brought back to life. Here's, uh, here's one sheep that's at risk of being cast down. The sheep's name is Shrek, named after the famous um, movie character. And the stories I understand about Shrek, Shrek's from New Zealand. It is that just a crazy picture. Shrek escaped, got lost, and I guess hung out in a cave for six years and somehow survived and uh, was not shorn for six years. Look at all that wool. And so miraculously, by the grace of God, Shrek survived and was found and became kind of a national hero in, in New Zealand. And, and on national television, they had a live event where uh, Shrek was sheared for the nation. And uh, it, the shearing brought forth 60 pounds of, of wool. That's just incredible. So Shrek would be an example of a sheep that is at great risk of being cast down. Uh, so sheep are really vulnerable. Sheep are right there for the taking, getting lost, being cast down. A core component of being a shepherd is bringing the sheep back to life. That's what. That's the power of this phrase, that he restores my life. David's saying that us as sheep, that's what the good shepherd does uh, for each of us. Uh, and, then, and then the good shepherd is restoring them back to life, David said, to put them on paths of righteousness, or literally, in the Hebrew, the right paths. So it's the idea, as Isaiah said, we go astray, sheep go astray and wander, we wander. The shepherd is constantly in the bringing back to life business and the rescuing the lost and setting right the cast down to get the sheep back on the right path, the path that's going to lead to green pastures 
into quiet waters. Sheep will just go on any random path. There's stories of sheep literally walking off the edge of a cliff, and then the other sheep just keep following them right off the edge of the cliff. So the shepherd just got his, his hands full with us and, and with the sheep. And the shepherd does this, David says, for his namesake, for his namesake. And it's this idea. It's the idea that um, the care of the sheep is tied directly to the reputation of the shepherd. In the ancient Near East, a person's name was their reputation. And so uh, how the sheep are cared for directly reflects what people think about the shepherd. Uh, shepherds, good shepherds, don't lose sheep. That's just not what they do. Their reputation would be in disarray. When I was a youth pastor, I, one of the jokes I would often use with parents is we'd come back from a trip, a backpacking trip or whatever, and the parents would all show up to pick up the kids and they'd invariably say, hey, how did it go? And I'd be like, great, we brought back most of the kids. That was just like one of my jokes. Most parents didn't think that was very funny. Good youth pastors don't bring back most of the kids. <laughs> they bring back all the kids and that's what good shepherds do. They care for all the sheep, make sure no sheep are lost, make sure the sheep are fed and they have water and they're protected and they're rescued if they wandered for his namesake. This reflects God's glory and his reputation. The prophet Ezekiel uh, says this. This is a really cool passage. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. So God's looking down at his people saying, hey, the way you're behaving, this is just bringing, is putting my name in, in really bad light. But God's going to do something about it. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh, declares the sovereign Lord. When I am proved holy uh, through you, before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God for my namesake. God, the shepherd cares for us and provides for our needs and only good, the good shepherd can do that for his namesake. When people see that, they're like, what a shepherd or what a God. Uh, verse four, only a good shepherd can provide rest for the sheep. Again, how so? Sometimes on the journey to green pastures and quiet waters, the shepherd has to take the sheep through a dangerous stretch or dangerous path David says like this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. This uh, Hebrew word darkness, it's a really cool word. It's a combo of the words shadow and death. So the word brings those together and it's used 29 times in the Old Testament. A literal translation of it might be valley of, of shadow death or the gates of death. It's a dark and dangerous place where death literally shadows you. It's marking your steps. It's hovering over you, which I think is something that I feel in this season of life. We've never had more death around us. We're in kind of a, a land of shadow death right now in this pandemic. David was possibly referring to a real place. Shepherds talk about the valley of the shadow of death to this day in the ancient Near East. Uh, the, the, as David uh, watched, the area where David watched the sheep was filled with these valleys called wadis, uh, and they're, they're kind of dry riverbeds or valleys that were dry for most of the year, except when the rains come and they got really dangerous with, with flash floods. 
and they were made up of, of sheer rocky cliffs and deep gorges, and the paths were really, really thin. Uh, here, uh, there's going to be a picture of a famous one that, that comes up today that you can travel to and see in the Holy Land. And the shepherds would have to, in the seasonal grazing, lead their sheep through these wadis, and they were dangerous. The, the paths were so narrow that once the shepherd led the sheep through them, they could not turn around. They were filled with bandits. They were filled with just all kind of dangers. There's many ways for the shepherd and the sheep to die as they entered the stretch. So David is likely talking about this very thing. Even though I walk through this dark valley, what does David say? He says, I will not fear. Why does David not fear? Because David's a super courageous sheep? No, he, he tells us right away, because you are with me. And this is one of the great themes in all of Scripture, one of the great confidences we can have when we look at the story that we're caught up in. Uh, God was with the first humans. God was with them when they even ran away and went their own way. God was with his people in Egypt and in the wilderness and in the promised land. God was with them in the tabernacle. God was with them in the temple. God was very much with them in Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. That's what it means God with us. And then one day, uh, as we look forward, as we're right now and God's with us through his spirit, we look forward to that day of the embodied return of Jesus. And in John, in Revelations, where he's getting this, these cool visions of what's coming, John saw this cool vision in the future, and this is what's coming. He says, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God with us. It's the antidote to fear in the valley of shadow death. And David says this important word. He says that you will walk with me through the valley of shadow death. David's confident that, that God's with him every step of the way through, that he's not going to abandon him, that he's not going to bail on him, that when we're in the valley of shadow death, and many of us might be right now, you might be experiencing that vividly right now, the confidence that David have, we can also have as sheep that God, Yahweh, our good shepherd, is with us through the valley of shattered death, so we do not have to fear. And again, that's one of the, the commands, the encouragements in Scripture we see from beginning to end. The command to do not fear is actually used 365 times in Scripture. Finally, David says um, he's comforted because the ship, shepherd has a rod and a staff, and these are basic just implements of a shepherd. The rod was kind of a short little club. There'll be a, a picture that'll come up to show the difference between the two that the shepherd would carry in its belt, and they would like beat wild animals or predators. They were actually really gifted at throwing them accurately. And then the staff kind of had like a little bend on the end of it, and it was used to guide the sheep or to even rescue them. There's tools that the good shepherd uses to protect and provide and, and care for the sheep. And David is comforted because of the good shepherd, in this case Yahweh, is guiding him with these things through the valley of shadow death to green pastures and quiet water so that the needs of his restless heart can be taken care of so that he can lie down and rest. So what? <laughs> you might be saying, you might be like, okay, that was kind of interesting, John, all that random data about shepherds and sheep in the ancient Near East, but like, who really cares? What difference does that make for our life? I think it makes a ton of difference if we're willing to enter into the psalm. Again, we won't be able to actualize these promises, step into them, really appreciate them, unless we understand that we're sheep. Only, only sheep need a shepherd. And if we're not willing to put ourselves in that vulnerable position, we miss it all. 
Scripture's clear that's the type of animal God <laughs> connects with humanity, that we're just like sheep. So if you're willing to go there, then, then automatically we see the truth come home from this psalm and these, these verses from this psalm, this simple truth that we are, are restless. Just like, just like sheep, we are restless. We, don't, we may not want to articulate that and say that, but I just want, actually I do want you to say it. Maybe that's a good thing to say it out loud. So maybe just right now, whoever you're with, you're alone, maybe you're with other people, just say out loud, I am restless. I am restless. It's a difficult thing to say because we don't want to admit that that kind of stuff is going on in our hearts. And yet I think that that is the basic, natural place of the human heart that is human and, and broken. Um, and when we've actually, I think, never been more restless probably than right now in the season we're in. The definition of, of restless literally means the inability to rest. It also could be that we have to constantly feel like we're moving. We're constantly on the move. Our hearts can never settle down. I think if we took a camera and we were able to look inside at our hearts, we would see this image. Yeah, I think that that's what we would see. I, I know that, that, that that's my heart most of the time, just this restlessness, like the hamster on the wheel, just going, going, going. Or maybe we would look inside at our hearts and we'd see this image, Chris Farley. And yeah, I, I, I miss Chris Farley. And a shout out to my, my wife, whose favorite movie is Tommy Boy. That frenzied, crazed, frenetic, never sit still restlessness is the state of most of our hearts. And we're in a good place if we can just own it and admit it. It's clear in the psalm, that's what David is saying about his heart, and that's what David's saying about the sheep, that we're restless, that we have trouble settling ourselves down. Here's the hope of the psalm, though, if we're willing to step into the imagery of the sheep, that, that only the good shepherd can provide rest for our souls and does provide rest for our souls. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian, I'm reading a biography of him right now, and he discovered very early on that the basic state of the human heart was restlessness, and he also learned very early on that the answer to that was God alone. And he was heavily influenced by, by Augustine. And Augustine's perhaps most famous quote is this, O God, thou hast made for thyself, us for thyself, and our souls are restless, searching till they find their rest in thee. Um, we, we can, like sheep, we cannot rest we cannot get off the hamster wheel. We cannot settle down until our primary needs are taken care of, just like sheep. Uh, the truth of Psalm 23, again, is that only the good shepherd can do that for us. Only the good shepherd could do that for the sheep. He's, he's the only one that could, that could care for the sheep in such a way that to make them lie down. And the same is true uh, for us. Uh, Jesus knows we're naturally restless. Jesus knows our heart. And as we begin to look at Jesus' teaching and life through this vein, it begins to come alive. Think back to the previous series, The Way Forward. One of the formative uh, passages that we, we, we hit upon a couple times throughout that series is Matthew 11. Let's return to it, and, and, and there's going to be a couple words highlighted, I think, that will pop out uh, from, from our Psalm 23 message today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest uh, for your souls. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the good shepherd. Just like in Psalm 23, where the shepherd was the only one that could cause the sheep to lie down and rest, I can do that for you. If you follow me, if you look to me as your good shepherd, 
I can provide rest for your souls. You can actually lie down and, and relax because your, your basic needs are taken care of. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing probably his most popular and important letter, the letter to the Romans, it kind of comes to crescendo in the middle of that letter at Romans 8, and he's kind of building theologically up to this just incre- beautiful moment in, in Romans 8. And Paul is going to give us, I'm going to read this passage here, and these, these questions will be highlighted, but he's going to give us five of these consecutive questions that he throws out that are rhetorical questions, and they're meant to demonstrate all that the Good Shepherd has done for us and the fact that the Good Shepherd is taking care of all of our basic needs so that we can rest. So let's read this passage. What then shall we say in response to these things? Here's the first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Here's the second question. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Third question. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? For it is God who justifies. Fourth question. Who then is the one who condemns? Paul answers, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And here's the fifth and final and probably the most important question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul's like, no one. (laughs) Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered, see this, as sheep to be slaughtered. But Paul says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, nor any powers, not neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Whew. Followers of Jesus, sheep <laughs> who look to Jesus as our good shepherd, if we realize that truth and we claim it, and we step into that, that's our green pastures. That's our quiet waters. That's our sense of being in the presence, the protective shepherd that will give his life and lay down his life for us. That and that alone will cause rest for our souls. Um, when When we understand this, when we claim this, when we step into it, our hearts are no longer like hamsters on a wheel. Our hearts are more like this. This is our dog, our golden retriever, Zion. And this is like how Zion often sleeps, just all four legs up in the air, just cashed out. That's because Zion has a great life. We feed her and we walk her and we pick up her poop and we groom her and we pet her and tell her how cute she is and we play ball with her. She, all of her needs are taken care of. So of course she can sleep like that. She has no problem sleeping and resting, as you can see. And that is what happens to us is we we step into that 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 truth that we're sl- we're sheep and we look to the good shepherd and we understand what the good shepherd provides for us and 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 it's not again it's not a promise that the good shepherd is going to take care of all your problems and all my problems and make our our problems go away and solve all of our dilemmas and that everything will be hunky dory that's not the promise of psalm 23 we miss it if we if we see that it's the even better promise that in the midst of green pastures and quiet waters, in the midst of great days and great seasons, in the midst of the valley of shadow death, in both instances, if we're looking to the good shepherd, our hearts are content, our hearts are satisfied, our hearts are at rest. So one of my favorite experiences prior to COVID was going to live music shows. Love, love, love music, love live music, and Portland's a great city to live in for that. 
Uh, every couple shows, this would invariably happen. It would always catch my attention. It'd be late. It'd be like 11, 1130. The band's rocking. It's super loud. People are dancing. They're loud. And I'd look off to the left or the right, and I'd see someone holding a baby. It was always just disorienting. I'm just like, what is a baby doing here? And it's somebody that's obviously a diehard fan and just couldn't find a babysitter or wasn't going to miss the show. But also, most times that I saw it, I looked down and the parents rock it out and scream it and yelling and the baby is fast asleep. I'm sure you've seen this. It's boarding events and other places. It's disorienting because like who can sleep right now? That baby can sleep. And it's such a beautiful image that that reinforces this imagery in Psalm 23. The baby can sleep because the baby's being held in the protective, loving arms of the parent, the mother, the dad that will do anything for that child. And is taking care of that child's every need so that child can, can fall asleep in the midst of chaos, in the midst of anything, and rest well. Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 23, 1 and 2 as, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. Isn't that awesome? Bedded us down. That's, that's such an intimate promise that if we look to Jesus as our good shepherd, that God will literally put us to bed. That God will, will put us to bed in a, such a way that will remove all of our fears and our anxieties and our needs and our hearts can truly be at rest. I mentioned my, my friend, artist friend Scott Erickson and showed you an image a few weeks ago. Here's another of my favorite images of Scott. He actually, if you see on the outline, outlines it rest. And it's that idea of God just holding us in his hands. The author of Hebrews gives us this incredible invitation. He says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rest from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. There's the invitation. Will you, will I enter into God's rest? The offer's right there. Psalm 23, just here it is. The offer's right there. Will we enter into his rest? When I was, uh, my family was watching the sermon last week, I was watching myself obviously speak it. I ask all of you the question, and myself as well, fill in the blank, what do you need to be satisfied? And at that point, my daughter, Eden, who's almost 13, and, and very sharp and was watching closely, she turned to me on the couch. She said, what's your answer, Dad? I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and it didn't take me long. I said, uh, to be productive, to get everything done. I'm a, I'm a classic type A person, and I have long task lists every day, and all of my hours are, are planned out. And I live a restless life. That's just my confession to you. Because I can't rest until I get all those things done. That's something I'm struggling with with God. When I was writing the sermon, I was thinking about it a lot. I don't sleep well. Uh, when I do sleep, it's not deep. And my heart is often the hamster on the wheel, the restlessness, because I'm driven to get everything done so I can rest. And the truth of this psalm is we don't have to wait. I don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. There's no boxes to check. There's nothing we have to do. As Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. We can enter into his rest because of what Jesus has done for us. Julian of Norwich's great quote is true. She says, all things, shall, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Actually, that tense in the Hebrew uh, of the verb that David uses for bringing us back to life suggests the sheep don't have to do anything, that Jesus, the good shepherd, has done everything. So will you, will I 
enter his rest? I hope so. And we can even do it like with our legs up in the air, totally relaxed. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the truth of, of this psalm. As I confess to everybody, I do have a hamster wheel heart often, and I confess that. I'm, I'm not proud of that, God. I don't want to live like that. And it, it's something that you're working uh, in my heart on, and, and, and you're working that out in me, and I continually invite that. I, can, I invite that for anybody that's listening to me that's wired that way. Maybe it's not that thing. Maybe it's some other list of things that needs to be taken care of before that person can enter rest. It's just not true. It's not true. And any of those things we look to are just false. They're not going to lead to rest. They'll lead to just more restlessness. You, good shepherd, you're the only one who can cause us, the sheep, to lay down and rest. You're the only one that can provide uh, for the key things we need to enter rest so that we're no longer restless. And we thank you for that, God. And we pray that you would give us the courage and the audacity and the faith to enter your rest today. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen.